Thank you for joining us today on Media for Progress, where we bring people together to discuss our relationship with democracy. My name is Stephanie. I'm an activist uh, organizer and a scientist. On this episode, we have Lorraine Tuliano, and we'll be talking about healthcare and Medicare expansion. Tell us how you became an activist for Medicare expansion, Lorraine. Well, first, thank you, Stephanie, for inviting me to talk today. Um, I've actually had healthcare access for most of my life, which seems a little strange to be a, a healthcare activist when I've really not had any problems getting healthcare myself. I mean, my father was in the United States Air Force, so while I was growing up and until I turned 23, I think it was, um, his his insurance or the, the government insurance for the military covered me, so I didn't have to worry about any of that. Um, when I went to college, uh, that was the only time really I've not had healthcare access, but you had a student union and you had you know services for students while I was in college. Uh, and then when I went to work, you know, I had employer-sponsored uh, health insurance so provided. So I've really been really lucky in my lifetime. Um, and now that I'm retired, I still have health insurance. So uh, um, not everybody has that opportunity. And that's why I'm interested uh, now is because people should have access to affordable health care. They shouldn't have to worry about paying their bills or, or paying for prescription drugs. Um, they, they should be able to afford both. Definitely. Um, I mean, health healthcare is a, a basic necessity and it shouldn't um, be provided based on, um, you know, your wealth. Everyone should have access to that in a decent society. Um, personally, I, I'm, I'm very well aware of that struggle. Um, I, I've been without healthcare for a long period of time. I've, had healthcare and not been able to afford medications. Um, I've, I've had to get a second job just to get healthcare for my husband because although I did have employer sponsored healthcare and he was working full time, um, the premium was, it would have been 40% of my take home pay. So I ended up getting a second job working overnights on the weekends and working full time during the weekdays just to, just to afford his premium, which I, I don't think any working person should have to do. It, it, it really is a struggle for so many Americans. Tens of millions of Americans are either uninsured or underinsured, and we could definitely do better. Exactly. And I was really got interested in 2010 when they were debating the Affordable Care and Patient Protection Act. The reason I was interested is during the debate, they were discussing, you know, who should be covered, who shouldn't be covered. Uh, how they were going to cover people, it might have affected the insurance that I was getting from my employer, who happened to be the U.S. government. And if you recall, part of the debate under the Affordable Care Act was Congress should have the same health insurance that they were going to impose on the rest of the United States citizens. So they agreed to be covered by the Affordable Care Act. They actually had a choice. They could stay with the, the government-provided insurance, which came under the Federal Employees Health Benefits Act, which um, we actually got in the federal government when the unions campaigned to provide health care benefits for the employees. So um, 
that's how we got Congress involved in in seeing what the Affordable Care Act might be. Really, some of the opposition to it because they're covered under the Affordable Care Act now. Interesting. Well, thank you for sharing that. I didn't know that. Um, so. Medicare, Medicare consistently pulls better than private insurance, um, and healthcare is um, a, a very important issue to Americans. And whether they agree on what the solutions are, Americans agree that we need to do something about our healthcare system. Um, why do you think that um, there's so much resistance to something like Medicare for all, despite how popular the program is? Well, let's look at that resistance, uh, that that polling. Most people really do like universal health care coverage. However, it's um, it's how you ask them the question. So if you're asked, do you like universal health care coverage? The answer is, well, sure. You know, and, and what they are, people are being told is, well, it's going to provide you with... Uh, Free, you know, no premium health care. It's going to provide you with no co-pays, no this, no that. And people think they're going to get something for free. But that's not really the details. And when you start talking to people about what really the cost is going to be or how it's going to be implemented, um, and you start asking questions, well, how do you support it if we do away with the current Medicare program? Okay, because it would have to be folded in. And then the, the support really starts to drop. And if you tell them again that, well, the way we're going to pay for that is we're going to raise your taxes. And it'll be a certain percentage of your taxes that'll pay for this so that everybody can have health care. And people start saying, well, wait a minute, how much are you going to raise my taxes? And then you, so support starts to drop again. Then you tell them, well, the only way we can do this really is and be able to afford it for everybody is that everybody has to be a part of Medicare for All. That's why it's called now Medicare for All, is we have to eliminate the private health insurance that companies are using to cover their employees. And that's when you see a big drop off to support. So what that tells you is people want to have a choice. They might be interested in the Medicare for All option, but that's just one option. There are other alternatives to that one option. Right now, what we have is the Affordable Care Act. And what the Affordable Care Act did was it covered those people who couldn't afford to buy uh, private health insurance policies because they might have been self-employed. So they were out there on their own negotiating to get health insurance. Um, so it costs them a lot uh, to, to get themselves covered, and it costs them staggering amounts to cover their family, not just themselves. Um, you've got people that uh, can't afford, that are in low-wage jobs that can't afford their employer-provided health insurance. So if they can demonstrate that they're low-wage um, and they cannot qualify, they cannot afford their employer-based insurance then and they don't qualify for uh, the Affordable Care Act subsidies that help people afford having health insurance coverage, then um, they fall into something called the Medicaid gap. 
And it's called the Medicaid gap because the right fought the implementation of the Affordable Care Act all the way up to the Supreme Court, which gave them a decision that said states don't have to accept the Medicaid expansion part of the Affordable Care Act. Um, and a lot of the states that were run by Republican legislatures and Republican governors really decided not to expand Medicaid. And then that left a huge group of people who couldn't get coverage. They couldn't afford it anyway. And that's the, that's really the gap that we're trying to fix with the expand Medicare. I've, I've been in that Medicaid gap living in North Carolina. I, I know what that is like. And it, it's unfortunate that there is so much um, confusion. Americans obviously want a better healthcare system, but uh, the private insurers and, and the for-profit healthcare industry has uh, worked over time to make sure that they've poisoned the well towards anything that's going to hurt their profits. And the U.S., when they word it as it's going to need more taxes, I, I understand that when, when you're struggling and you're living paycheck to paycheck, um, hearing that and hearing that you're going to have even less money to get by, that that's going to set off alarm bells in your, your mind. And I, I understand that, but, and, and that's why they word it that way. But when you think about it, I think the average per capita spending on healthcare is around, I think it's over $10,000. And if, if that's where that is coming from, yes, you may be paying more in taxes, but you're also paying significantly less in, in healthcare premiums and out-of-pocket costs. So if they're, if they're wording it as more taxes, but not mentioning that, it's, it's being very deceptive. So what, what do you think is wrong or are some of the challenges or pitfalls of our current system where health insurance is provided through employers? Well, that's actually why the Affordable Care Act was created, right? Not employers choose the health care options that they're going to provide to their employees. So you really, in a lot of employers, you don't have a choice. And that's what people really want is a choice. So, and there are a lot of employees that are low income and low income employees cannot afford for example, if they're working for a big employer like Walmart, who should be able to provide health insurance at a reasonable, affordable cost to all of their workers, really only gear it towards the workers that are paid higher. So the low-income workers can't afford the insurance that Walmart provides. And that's where the Affordable Care Act came into being, because they can go to the uh, what's called the exchanges or the marketplace and purchase an insurance policy there that they can afford. And that provides them with sufficient coverage to meet their basic needs. According to the Brookings Institution, almost half of American workers over the age of 18, but under 64 are low wage workers. And that, that's not even talking about people who are um, disabled or retired or can't work or haven't been able to find work. But if choice is important to them, You'd think that they'd, they'd like a system where healthcare isn't dependent on employment because when it is, you end up stuck at a job or you end up taking a job that you wouldn't otherwise or working a second job just to get healthcare. I mean, if, if, if choice is important to them, healthcare should be something that they have regardless of their employer or employment status. 
So are you, I can tell this issue is very important to you. Are you connected with any groups working on Medicare for all? Well, I, I have been in the past, but when Trump was elected, it looked like um, they were finally going to get their wish and, then, and actually were attacking the Affordable Care Act. So the left really was in a position to have to fight to protect it and to keep it, um, let alone uh, fix some of the issues that they had and improve it, which is what we wanted to do. So um, one of the things I found out about was the Congress uh, House Democrats went back to their districts and they were told to either find an event or create an event themselves to support the Affordable Care Act and when the vote came up. And I decided to create a uh, event that I invited two of our congressional reps to and that was um, Darren Soto and Stephanie Murphy. And we held that event and it was great. We had over 200 people show up. Uh, so that gave me kind of a taste of what you could do uh, in, in getting interest in saving the Affordable Care Act. Now, mind you, again, I, uh, at that time I was retired um, and I still don't need the health care, but I'm helping other people get the health care they deserve and that they can afford. And a few months later, I think um, we did it again, only this time I created something I called Central Florida Coalition for Healthcare. And I invited other organizations to come in and help do the planning. And we pulled off another rally, this time in front of one of our largest hospitals. And there was a, a public location there and we got over 600 people to show up. And we were able to get a Senator uh, who was up for reelection the next year to show up. And that was Senator Bill Nelson to come in and say how important it was to save the Affordable Care Act. So that's really kind of um, where I worked with other organizations to do that. I'm now in a group for retirees called the Florida Alliance for Retired Americans. And their biggest objective is to save, preserve and expand Medicare and social security. Because those are the things that seniors rely on social security and Medicare in order to provide their income and keep them out of poverty and to provide them health care in their sunset years. Well, as you know, the midterm uh, elections are coming up and health care is going to be on everybody's mind. Why do you think people are a bit worried or afraid about the midterm elections? I think the biggest issue about midterm elections is that people don't show up. So that's the biggest thing. Um, and it's whoever can whip their, their uh, let's say whip, but whoever can encourage their supporters to be uh, interested enough in the midterms to show up. And what the right does is it creates this big controversy over items that the left supports, and they find a way to whip up the hatred against what those things are. And that gets their base activated and they show up to vote. Whereas if you're satisfied with what you have, um, you're not quite as, you're not angry first off, but you're not quite as motivated to show up to, to vote. So our real threat is, is it's driving polling to the right. 
rather than to the left. So it's very clear that Congress may in fact change hands. And if we don't want to let the MAGA uh, people win again, we need to support the politicians that will support the things that we voted for already. And that thing that we voted for is the Biden plan or the Biden program and what his campaign promises were based on, which is the Affordable Care Act and expanding that to the people that don't have access to affordable health care right now. I mean, look at what happened recently in talk about the reconciliation bill, which was the, the bill that was going to include all the improvements that Biden campaigned on. Part of that was some healthcare improvements. Um, and that was including the public option for people to have a choice of how they got their health care. So what the left was doing was going out there and pounding and pounding and pounding on the two Democrats in the Senate who didn't support the total reconciliation bill. And what they were doing on the House side was they were going after the Democrats who hadn't publicly uh, come out in support of the reconciliation bill, including those healthcare benefits. And instead of looking at who the real obstructionists were, which was the right, and they were a solid block who was obstructing any passage of the reconciliation bill. So to get healthcare benefits improved, instead of looking at trying to get them to hold so that they were losing. Uh, we were beating up on our, the people who supported our bills until they're now polling to lose. And that's why we're not doing so well going into this uh, midterm election in 2022. So instead of talking up what we have really gained so far in the two years that Biden's been in, in charge is we're talking about attacking the Democrats. And that's been the story for the last 18 months, not the real obstructionists, which are yeah. the ones on the right. Yeah, it, it, it is um, frustrating to see this, um, this kind of reactionary politics that, I mean, but it, it makes sense for the, on the right, they, they don't have any answers for healthcare. Um, and, Although they don't say it, they, they want to maintain the status quo. They want things the way they are. Um, so they, they tend to, you know, get, get people riled up about wedge issues or play on their bigotry or fear. So is there anything else you think that, that might prevent the Democrats from losing control of legislatures in the upcoming midterms? One thing we have to do really is... In, in a democracy, and we're still in a democracy this year, is groups settle their differences. And, and you don't walk away from a relationship, say, for example, if, if you disagree with your partner. I mean, how many marriages would there be now? So you, you talk about, you talk things over and you come to a, an agreement by negotiating in good faith with what your two positions are and you come to a compromise and or you convince your other partner that your position is best for both of you 
but you don't go in there and attack your partner just because they disagree with you. And that's what the left has been doing. So we really have a platform that we all agreed to in 2020, and that's the Biden campaign plan that everybody voted to support. I mean, Trump lost. He campaigned on repealing the Affordable Care Act. Biden campaigned on expanding the Affordable Care Act and, and making it more affordable. And that's the one that won. So we should all unite behind that and promote it. And that's part of now the discussion in Congress is how do we pull back from the big reconciliation bill that had everything we wanted in it and talk about what can we provide in way of improvements in healthcare, which is something that most of Americans do agree on that we should be looking at. And that is improvements in healthcare to make it more affordable for everybody and to cover more people so that there are more people who are not going um, without healthcare at all and where their healthcare turns out to be uh, the, the local emergency room at the hospital. And they can't afford to see a doctor and get the preventative care that's, that they do get under every single plan that's under the Affordable Care Act. And in every private plan, by the way, because it's mandated is min minimum, part of the minimum standards that healthcare plans should provide. And that's done under the Affordable Care Act. So that's what we need to concentrate on is what can we now get by supporting the people who support Biden's agenda? And how can we now work towards making the people that oppose that agenda, the, the candidates who are running on opposition to start polling to lose this election? And by that, we can do that by, by attacking their positions and make sure everybody understands the difference in this election, because it's very stark what we will get with the, the MAGA right um, politicians and the candidates. They are all supporting Trump. They're all catering to what he wants. They are catering right now to get his approval and his endorsement. So you know that the ones that get that endorsement, if they happen to win and they happen to take back Congress, the first thing they're going to attack again is our health care. And not only that, but they've said that they're going to start attacking Social Security and Medicare. They want to have a sunset uh, every five years on every single piece of legislation that exists. So that means that every five years, if you have something good that you want to keep, like the Clean Air Act, or you know, you want to keep um, uh, health care, you need to vote on it, or Social Security or Medicare every five years to retain it. And that becomes a contest every five years to make sure you have the Congress that you need to keep those programs in place. And until we start acting like we are all pulling in the same direction, that's not going to happen. We're going to lose this election. So people need to become organizers. Everybody needs to become an organizer.
I've joined uh, the fellowship here in at for progress because I wanted to support other organizers as I want them to support me in gaining the things that the American people deserve. And we can do that if we all pull in the same direction, if we all work together, if we all support each other, and if we educate the public on what's really going on. The fact that we have this war going on in Europe where we've got Putin, the president of Russia, attacking Ukraine. And if we want a total totalitarian government like they have, the authoritarian government that Putin provides, we're going to get that if we're not careful, if we're not pulling together and working on behalf of electing candidates who are progressive. And to do that, we all need to become uh, organizers. We all need to volunteer to help help those organizations that are going out there to help do voter registration, to help do education of voters as to um, what we could lose, as well as what we can gain in the elections in 2022. Yeah, it it is a a scary time when, you know, they they can undo so much legislation that has helped the most vulnerable people in the U.S. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I really don't have the answers. I, I know that electoral politics aren't everyone's um, passion. Um, I, I know that not everyone wants to support the Democratic Party, and I'm not telling people to support the Democratic Party because I am obviously a, um, I am a member of a third party. Um, but I, I do think that in general, the left has to stand up and fight fascism in, in every way possible because we're facing a unprecedented threat right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really would like people to get out there, even if even this if this is not affecting you now, it's going to affect someone you care about. It's going to affect you eventually, just because they haven't come after you, just because they haven't hurt your pocketbook or taken your rights away. They will. That's how they work. They do want a, a far right nationalist totalitarian government. They've made that very clear. That's right. And we need to work together in coalition. That doesn't mean you have to join the Democratic Party. It doesn't mean you have to join the Socialist Party or any party for that matter. But we do need to work in coalition together because we certainly don't want to become the the fascist. You know, we don't want to let the fascist win. And exactly. the only way, yeah, we can do that now because what they're doing is driving a wedge in amongst us. Uh, they're trying to separate the poor from the rich. They're trying to separate uh, the black from the white communities, you know, and the brown communities, and, and using their culture wars to divide us. And we need to look at that as a distraction that it is, and think about um, the things that really they're going to provide for us if we don't pull together and that's not going to be pretty yeah yeah exactly and and one of the reasons they use those uh, reactionary tactics of deflection is because they don't have real solutions to these problems they don't have a health care plan no. they don't want to admit that so they're gonna um, talk about something else and rile people up and in, in hopes that they'll vote out of anger and fear rather than you know, what they actually want um, their communities to look like. 
Right. Um, they have no policies. They have no policies at all. They want to stay in power. And yeah. once they're in power, you know, we've seen what they're going to do. They're going to restrict the vote. Um, they're going to close down our, our uh, free press. I mean, we've seen that before. Uh, when Trump was in power, he wanted to shut down the free press. He wanted to jail them. You know, that's not how they talk now. So one of the things that we could do is share this podcast with our listeners. They could share it with their friends. They can join other organizations. They can join with us in our organization for progress and, and help us organize the, the general public on what we really want to have accomplished in the next two years of Biden's term. I really appreciate your time today, Lorraine, um, and thank you for joining us on Media for Progress. And if you enjoyed today's discussion, please like, subscribe, and share. Uh, we'll see you soon, and let's keep this conversation going. Thank you.